Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Owen Ellis. It is finished. Can we bow our heads? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning, that you would shut us in here, close out any distractions. And Father, I pray that you would speak through me, put me to the side. May Jesus be lifted up. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. It was just an ordinary envelope, the kind you'd get from any government agency. When Linda first opened it, she thought nothing of it. Here it was, the official copy of her birth certificate that she'd sent away for. Now she could finally organize that cruise, that reunion cruise, and book the tickets. But she looked over the certificate and glanced on a paragraph on the back and thought nothing much and tucked it away. But a few, words, a few moments later, one of the words or phrases on that paragraph kind of got her attention and she pulled it out again and, and read again. As she reread that line a couple of times, something wasn't right. They must have made a mistake because it said adoptive birth certificate. You see, the problem was Linda was not adopted. So she knew they must have made a mistake, but she wouldn't have time to send back for another. I mean, if she was adopted, surely she would know she was 42 years old, she had four kids of her own. You'd know by then if you'd been adopted. But you know, she started to get this nagging doubt. It was kind of funny that she hadn't been able to find her original birth certificate, just a photocopy of part of it. So that day, later that day, she picks up the phone and she rings her uncle. She said, Uncle, you, you never guess what. This is just so funny. I, I got my birth certificate in the mail today and it, it said I'm adopted. Silence. Uncle, do you know something? Look, your parents made me promise I'd never tell you, but now you've found out. They're gone now. Yes, it's true. She picked up the phone again and she phoned her sister, Joan. Joan, I want you to tell me the truth. Am I your biological sister? Yes or no? Again, there's silence on the other end of the line. Come on, I have to, the right to know. Okay, mum and dad made me promise. But now you've found out. Linda went into shock. It was like the whole bottom fell out of her world. She was angry. She'd been lied to her whole life. Why didn't they tell me? In time, with some encouragement from her husband, Linda decided to try and contact her birth parents, if this was even possible. 
So she sat down and wrote an ad and put it in the paper. She didn't know where else to begin looking. The only information that she could get was the first names of her father and mother, of her birth parents. She put an ad in the paper. It read like this. My name is Linda, born to Jeannie and Warren in Omaha, 8750, and given up for adoption. My adoptive parents are deceased. I do not wish to cause any problems. I am seeking available info or possible reunion. That was 1992. Do you know what Linda is asking? What is her question? Her question is, who am I? Who am I? It's a big question, and it's a question that lots of people have asked over the centuries. Who am I? Because Linda is not the only one to find out that she has been lied to, that she's built her whole life on something that wasn't so. Sooner or later, every one of us at some time is going to have to ask that question. If you haven't asked it yet, you will come to it one day. Who am I? Where do I really belong? What is the meaning of my life? What is the purpose of my existence? Is there a purpose to my life? Everyone has to face these questions sometime. You can't get through life and not wonder who you are. You know, one of the most famous examples anywhere is found in the Gospel of Luke. And it's the story of the thief on the cross. Luke records this for us in Luke 22:32. He says, There were also two criminals, two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Two criminals. Evil doers, they were called. These were not people who just got speeding tickets or something minor like this. These were criminals, hardened criminals. The Bible says that these ones hanging next to the cross were thieves, criminals. And, and, and that's, that's all we know about them. We don't know what town they came from. We don't know who his parents were. We don't know where he went to school. We don't even know his name. The Bible doesn't even give us the name of the criminals. You know, this particular criminal, it bothered some of the early Christians. And so they made up stories about him. Some said, oh, his name was Didymus. And he was a, boyfriend, a boyhood friend of Jesus. And um, he hurt himself. And Jesus raised him back to life. And it's all nonsense. It's just myths and legends. But people have been so curious about who was this thief on the cross. Friends, all we know is what the Bible says. Matthew and Mark called him Lestes, that's a robber or a thief, a plundering rebel. Luke calls him a kakorogos, a criminal, a malefactor, an evildoer. We don't know their hobbies, we don't know his interests, we don't know if he had a wife and kids, we don't know anything about him. 
just what the Bible says. Two words. Two words to wrap up a lifetime. Makes you wonder, makes me wonder, what two words will they pick for me? What two words will they pick for you? Your epitaph. The chances are you'll never get to read it. Some people prepare well in advance and they tell others what they want there. But most of us will never get to see it. But the truth is that we have already begun to write it. We've already begun to write it day by day, decision by decision. The character that you build now makes a difference for eternity. The sum total of our lives is really a result of the decisions that we make day by day. All we have about this man is that he was a robber, an evildoer. Was he a good dad? We don't know. Did he provide well for his family before he went into this life of crime? We don't know. All we know is that He was the very worst thief they could find to hang next to Jesus because they wanted the worst next to Jesus to shame Jesus, to show everybody just how bad Jesus was. And so they found the most despicable criminals that they could. A worthless man. The Bible teaches that the only thing he is worthy of was death. The only thing he was worthy of was death. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. That's the only thing that we're worthy of, actually. You say, wait a minute. The wages of sin is death. Isn't that a bit harsh? I mean, I haven't done anything horrible. Not like that guy. I haven't taken anyone's life. I haven't done anything worthy of death. Do I really have to die? Why death? What happens when we sin? The Bible tells us what happens when we sin. Isaiah 59 too. But your iniquities, your sins, have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so he will not hear. Why is it that sin separates us from God? It is because God is perfect and holy. And without sin, he cannot have sin in his presence. He cannot tolerate it. He can't allow it because he knows the kind of suffering that sin causes. And he does not love suffering and pain. He is totally opposed to them. Suffering and pain, they're mutually exclusive evil. They're mutually exclusive to God. He cannot permit that in his presence. And so sin compromises our connection with God. It cuts us off from him. And what happens when we're cut off from God? Colossians tells us that he is our creator. He is also our sustainer. In him we have our being. In him we live and move. He gives you your every breath. He's the reason why I was able to wake up this morning. He is the source of life for the whole universe. 
And if you compromise your connection with the source of life, it's like unplugging the fan out of the wall. It might keep spinning for a while, but what's soon going to happen? It eventually stops. You might say, I'm not dead yet, but we're all dying because we've severed that connection with the source of life. We're all on borrowed time. We're all in the same boat. One John one eight says, "If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us." You know, deception—it's boy—it's becoming more and more prevalent today, isn't it? Deception, it's an issue, and it's a deception for me to tell myself that there's nothing wrong. It's a deception for us to tell ourselves that we're not that bad. It's a deception to tell myself that God is too loving to destroy me in my sin, or to convince myself that I'm actually all right and God will save me as I am. Jesus warns us that people would deceive themselves. But you know, we cannot deceive God. We can't deceive God. Jesus said the following. He said, many will say to me in that day, this is at the end of time, at the judgment, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice Lawlessness. These people were prophesying. They were self-deceived. They were doing wonders and they were self-deceived. They were sitting in church and self-deceived because they thought as long as they did a few good things and weren't as bad as the worst, God would overlook their sins. That his love would just make it all okay. They thought that as long as they weren't as bad as others, they should be good enough for God. But he says, I never knew you. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't know God. They didn't know how holy he is and how he cannot tolerate sin in any form. They didn't know how far short of his standard they had all come. Romans 3.23 reminds us, all have sinned. How many? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Again, I'm tempted to say, okay, I, I might have sinned, but I'm not as bad as those other people out there. You know, you should see what they do. They, their list is awful. You just need to look in the news and you can find someone who's done some despicable things and it might help you feel a little bit better about yourself. We can all do that. But I have an illustration. I'm looking for a volunteer. Stephen, thank you. Come and help me. Stephen, do you reckon it would be pretty good to get to the moon? All right, so you and I are going to go to the moon, right? Let's, let's put on our moon suits. Okay, you've got your moon hat on. You're going to have to have some air in that. It's got to protect you and everything. And the way we're going to get to the moon is to jump. You ready? So when I say jump, you're going to jump as high as you can. And we're, we're going together. Is that all right? We don't usually jump in church, but you'll remember this, okay? So you ready? We've got to jump to the moon. Ready? One, two, three. 
Jump. Should we try that again? You're not going to get to the moon like that. Let's go again. One, two, three. Jump. Stephen, you're not, you're not doing very well there, are you? You're never going to get to the moon like that. Thanks for helping. You know, I could feel pretty good because I jumped a bit higher than Stephen. I mean, I couldn't even touch those lights or the fans, let alone the ceiling, but I jumped higher than Stephen, so should I feel good about myself? No. We all fall way short of the standard. Friends, we've got no business comparing ourselves with each other, taking pride or comfort in the fact that we can jump higher than the other because we can never reach the standard of God's perfection. We can never reach it. We all fall short. We're all in trouble. And at first, the thief doesn't understand this, but eventually he figures it out. You see, according to Matthew's gospel, at the beginning, this thief does something really horrible. He joins in making fun of Jesus. He's hanging on the cross dying, and he's making fun of Jesus. He joins in the mockery of the crowd on the ground. Come on, Jesus. Come down from the cross. If you really are the king of the Jews, and that's what that sign says, we'll give you a throne if you come down from the cross. Or maybe you like the throne that you're on right now. Why doesn't God save you? If you really are his son. They all did it. Check it out in Matthew, Mark. The Romans, the Pharisees, the priests. The priests whose work in the temple that very day was symbolizing what Christ was doing. The true Passover lamb. The lamb who takes away the sins of the world, the one who dies in our place so that we are not destroyed. Even the priests joined in. They're all mocking. Come on, Jesus, if you are the Messiah, this shouldn't be a problem for you. If you are who you say you are, now this is your chance to prove it. So you saved others, huh? Can't even save yourself. Come on, then come down. Then we will believe you. And this thief, he joined in. But suddenly, he stopped. He looks over at Jesus. And something happens in his mind. He remembers all those things he's heard about this man, Jesus. He went about doing good. He healed the sick. He loved the unlovable. He touched the untouchable. And he thinks about Jesus and and how he's taken it all and how he responded. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He wasn't behaving like a guilty man, but like an innocent man. And suddenly the thief sees it. Jesus is not deceived. He is. He sobers up and he realizes something. He finds out in the last seconds of his life that his life has been a big lie. There's been a conspiracy. Do you believe in conspiracies? Maybe 
you're wary of many of them, and I, and I hope you are because there's more out there than you can poke a stick at. But sometimes conspiracies are real. You can't deny it. Somehow they kept Linda in the dark for 40 years. It turns out that Linda's birth mother was a young girl named Jeannie. Jeannie got married when she was 16, had a baby at 17, and at 18, her teenage husband said, I don't really want to be tied down with a kid, and he disappeared. Jeannie went and found a job in Omaha. She found an older couple to take care of little Linda, Mr. and Mrs. Whitney. They lived a bit far away for her to go and drop off and pick Linda up every day because she had to catch about three buses to get there. And so they came to the arrangement where Linda would be dropped off on, at the beginning of the week and picked up on the weekends. And it worked really well. It was, it was working really well. And then one day, Linda got a call at work. Sorry, Jeannie got a call at work. Jeannie, uh, we've got a call from the social services. It was the Whitney's. And they said, since we're not Linda's real parents, we need you to sign temporary custody papers so that we can arrange medical attention for her if it's needed. It's getting pretty urgent. If you could just slip down to the solicitor's office and sign the paperwork, then everything will be taken care of. We'll be able to get things done if... if Little Linda needs anything. Jeannie went to the office. She looked at the paperwork. There were so many pages there, and she didn't understand it. But the man sitting behind the desk, he reassured her that everything, everything was in order. Everything would be fine, and she signed it and thought nothing more about it. But when Friday came, Friday came, and it was... It was Linda's second birthday, and, and, and Jeannie prepares a present and, and wraps it, and she goes, as, as she's going along, catching the bus to little Linda, she's singing happy birthday to you in her mind, and she comes and she knocks on the door, ready to... There's silence. She knocks on the door again. Silence. This is an unusual thing, she thinks. And she starts pounding on the door until the building supervisor comes to see what's wrong. Do you know where the Whitneys are? They don't live here anymore. They moved out a few days ago. Didn't leave any details. Her daughter was gone without a trace. I don't know if you can imagine or even begin to imagine the pain of separation for Linda. But I know that God can. He understands this sort of pain because one day someone stole all his children. And then they nailed his only begotten son on a cross. The Lamb of God knows suffering. He's not isolated from pain, from your pain. He lived here like us. He walked our streets. He felt the burden of life. He died 
a worse death than any of us. He gets it. He understands pain. He gets your pain. Jeannie called Mr. Whitney's boss. He just left, he said, didn't even pick up his last paycheck. And it was then that Jeannie got this really awful feeling. What if those papers I signed were adoption papers? Can you imagine being deceived like that? She called the adoption agency and they said, the case is closed, we can't share any information with you. She couldn't afford an investigator, and so it was all over. A real conspiracy. But let me assure you, let me assure you, there has been a conspiracy in your life and in mine. Someone has stolen each of us from the Father. And he is trying to keep us in the dark. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. It's a deception. It's a conspiracy. The God of this age is blinding people's minds who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. There is a conspiracy. Someone is trying to keep you and I away from the truth. And no matter how clever the devil might be, the fabrication, the conspiracy is not perfect. He's perfected his art, his craft, for thousands of years, but his work is still full of defects and holes. It is big enough for the light of truth to shine through. And the Bible says that the thief on the cross that day noticed some light peeking through. Peeking through some of those holes, and for the first time in his life, this man nailed to a cross, he wakes up with blood and sweat and dirt in his eyes. He can now finally see. He sees that the man he is mocking is the Lamb of God, the promised Messiah. And he looks down at the crowd and he hears them mocking and he discerns another voice. If you listen carefully to the crowd, you might discern that voice too. If. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. If. Do you recognize that voice? If. If, if. You see, there's someone present in the crowd, and we don't really like to think of it, but he was present in the crowd that day who urges them on and keeps the mockers going. Listen carefully. Jesus, is this your big plan? Is this how you're going to take back your kingdom and save the world? Why don't you come down from the cross if you are the Son of God? If, if, if. Jesus recognized the voice. 
He'd heard that voice in the wilderness when he first began his ministry. If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are the son of God, jump down from this high place. If, if. You know who'd said that? It was the devil. We don't like to think about it, but the devil was there. He was there at the cross. How else do you explain the things that people were saying? How else do you explain that they nailed God's son to the cross? You know, there must have been a moment when Satan realized that he'd blown it. He wanted Jesus dead, but but then he sees that what is happening and, and he realizes that the cross is going to be his undoing. It would expose him as a murderer and as a liar. Oh, when you hear the insults coming from the crowd, you know that the devil is catching on. Come off that cross. Jesus could have come down, couldn't have he? He could have. We could have excused him for coming down and walking away. He didn't really have to do it. But he knew that if you or I were ever going to be reconnected with God, this was the only way. It was the only way. He didn't want to die. We looked at that last night. Read the story of Gethsemane. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He really didn't want to die. But it was the only way. It was his love that made him do it. It was love, friends, that held him to the cross. The nails were just decorations. His love held him there. The devil wanted him down, and the devil still wants Jesus down off the cross. You see, every time the topic of the cross comes up, every time that people open their Bibles, the devil shows up doing his best to raise doubts in people's minds. Different sort of doubts. Maybe doubting that it ever happened or maybe doubts about ourselves. If you'll never be good enough, why don't you wait until you have all the answers? What will others think? He still comes. He still stands in the shadows, casting doubt. Why is that? He's scared of the truth coming out. He's scared that you are going to find out that you have been lied to. He's scared that you are going to find the truth, and the truth is found in God's word. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That but is so important. There's the second half of the text. That word changes it all. We don't have to die. We can be in God's kingdom. It's really simple. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much? All unrighteousness. There's no exceptions here. We come to God. We come clean with him. We acknowledge what we are, what we've done. We choose to turn away from it and ask him to do the impossible in us. 
and he does it. All unrighteousness, there's no exceptions. It doesn't say from everything except murder or from everything except drunkenness or from everything except for that addiction or this thing or the other. It's all, all. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And it's the gift of God. It's a gift because we can never earn it. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, Paul writes. You can't earn it. You have to take it as a gift. It's emphasized even as the Bible closes in Revelation 22:13. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life. What? Freely. Freely. As you look at your life, have you ever realized that you're thirsty for something? Thirsty for something more. A few moments ago, the thief was wrestling with Roman soldiers. Now he's wrestling with something more powerful. It is conviction. Maybe you are too. Wrestling with the conviction that the one on the cross in the middle is the Son of God. And he cries out, stop it. Don't you see what we're doing? We deserve this, but this man is innocent. And then he utters nine words. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. A really simple prayer. Lord, remember me. Out in the wilderness, the devil tried to tempt Jesus to take a shortcut to the kingdom. Jesus, all you have to do... You don't have to go the hard way. I'll give you everything now. I'll give you back the kingdom. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. No hard life here on earth. No cross. Just bow down. It'll be easy. The kingdom. Jesus didn't do it. And now the crowd mocks him and Satan whispers, What now, Jesus? You should have taken me up on my offer. Your father isn't here and the people you thought would choose you have just nailed you to the cross. And now in the darkness, the devil has to listen to another voice. It's a voice he recognizes. It's someone he knew. It's one of his, or used to be. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The devil just lost one. Somebody just chose Jesus of their own free will. The lowest of the low, the worst criminal you could find that day to put Jesus to shame has just accepted Jesus and become a member of the kingdom of God. Christ is building his kingdom even there on the cross. Plucked from Satan's grip, plucked from the grip of death and its wages of sin. Think about the cross. How can we look at the cross and not hate sin? My pride became a nail in his hand.
hand, you know. My self-sufficiency became the nails in his feet. My stubbornness, the, the spear that pierced his side. How can we look at the cross and not hate sin, including the sin in our own lives? There he is. He's hanging on my cross. If you feel you're not good enough, then it means you're one of the few who actually get it. Nobody is good enough. Nobody. Only Jesus, Paul said, but God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Linda ran her first ad on October 25, 1992. She ran a second ad the weekend later, November 1. On November 2, a phone call came from the social services. Linda? I think you're going to have a nice Christmas. Can we give this lady your number? Yes. Yes, of course. The phone rang again. Hello? Hello, is this Linda? Yes. Is this my mum? Mum. I can't believe you saw my ad in the paper. Linda, I've been reading the paper for the past 40 years hoping to find something. Waiting. God says, I've been waiting every day for you. I've seen your whole life. I've been here waiting I've seen what you've been through and I've been waiting for you. Do you ever wonder why the thief on the cross doesn't have a name? Without a name, without a face, we can put our name and our face right there. He looks just like me. The only difference there really is that he died Straight away after that, as a saved man, but you and I, we get to live as saved men and women. It's the only difference. The basis for his salvation is exactly the same as that for yours and mine. He acknowledged Jesus, he repented, and he believed the promise. Minutes later, he hears the cry of triumph ringing through the darkness. It is finished. The whole universe has been watching and listening. They've been focused on what's going on. Truth has triumphed. Love has won. The deception of the greatest conspiracy ever is blown wide open. It is finished. Heaven breathes a sigh of relief, a sigh that shakes the whole earth and splits the curtain in the temple. The lie is exposed. Sin's end is guaranteed. The Redeemer sleeps. He's finished the work that he came to do.
It is finished. For the thief on the cross, the conspiracy has ended. He has seen the truth. You see, he came face to face with the truth right there on the cross. He has been reconnected with God and his future is secure. It is finished. For him, the conspiracy was over. What about for you? Is it over for you? Have you seen the truth? Have you chosen who you'll follow? It's finished. Is it over for you? This message was made available by the Barrel Seventh day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit barreladventist.church.
It is finished by the West Coast Baptist College. And coming up next, Stephanie Dawn will sing, Thank You for Loving Me. Many times I think about you, Lord. How in love you made a blind man to see.
I just want to thank you, precious Jesus, for loving me. Many times I think about you, Lord, all alone in dark Gethsemane. differs from all other psalms in several ways. First, it is the longest psalm with 176 verses, each part denoted by one of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and each of these containing eight verses. Second, almost all verses mention God's law in some way. As each part is read, the relevant Hebrew letter is pronounced first, indicating the first letter of that part. Let's listen to William Ackland as he reads a portion of Psalm 119 from his paraphrase of the Bible called The Gift. Het, you are the centre of my life, O Lord. I have promised to keep your words. I have implored your blessing with my whole heart. Be merciful to me in harmony with your word. I thought about the direction of my life, then turned to your testimonies. I decided to act quickly, not delaying to keep your commandments. Even though my enemies bind me securely, I will not forget your law. I will leave my bed in the middle of the night to praise you, for I am grateful for your righteous judgments. I have chosen my friends from those who reverence you, from those who keep your precepts. The earth shows many evidences of your love. So teach me your statutes, O Lord. Tet, I could not be happier with the way you have treated me, for you have blessed me according to your word. Teach me how to judge wisely, to judge according to your commandments. Before troubles came upon me, I went astray. But now I am safe, for I keep your word. You are good, 
and all you do is good. I want you to teach me your statutes. My arrogant enemies have smeared me by a lie, but my aim is to keep your precepts with all my heart. Their hearts are insensitive to others, but my delight is your law. When I am chastised, it is good for my character, for in my troubles I learn more of your statutes. The law that comes from you is far better to me than piles of silver and mounds of gold. Yud Your very hands have created me, so please give me an understanding mind that I may learn your commandments. My fellows who respect you will be happy in my presence because I have put your word at the centre of my life. It is clear to me, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous, and it is because of your love for me that you have allowed troubles to come. Cover me, O Lord, with your kind mercy, in harmony with your word to me. Let the blessings of daily life be mine, that I may be sustained, for your law is the delight of my life. Let the arrogant be taught a lesson for maligning me without a reason. But as for me, I will think deeply on your precepts. May those who fear you have respect for me, those who are familiar with your testimonies. Let me be faultless in respect to your statutes, that I may not be accused of sin. Calf, I desperately long for your salvation and my hope is in your word. My eyes are becoming sore from seeking your word, and I say, when will you comfort your child? I am like a shriveled up wineskin in the smoke, but I still do not forget your statutes. How long will my life be, O Lord? When will you punish those who persecute me? When will the arrogant stop harrying me? What they are doing is condemned by your law. All your commandments are authoritative. Please help me, for I am pursued without good reason. My enemies have almost hounded me to death, but in all my troubles I did not renounce your precepts. Give me new life again, O Lord, for you love me, that I can follow the testimony that you have spoken. Lamed your word stands firm forever in heaven, O Lord. Your faithfulness is renewed to each generation. You created the earth, and it stays where you placed it. It continues to this day in harmony with your ordinances, for all people are your servants. If I had not made your law the guide of my life, I would have succumbed when the hard times came. I will never forget your precepts, for they have shown me the way of life. I belong to you, O Lord, so please save me, for I have desired to keep your precepts. The wicked wait to ambush and destroy me, but my mind will be focused on your testimonies. I have seen how beautiful are the things you have made, but your commandments are even more majestic. Mem how I love your law. It is in my thoughts throughout the day. By your commandments, O Lord, 
I am wiser than my enemies, and there never is a time when they do not enclose me. I understand things better than my teachers, for your testimonies are where I gain my wisdom. I understand even more than the aged among us, because I have followed your precepts. I have chosen not to go down the path of evil, so that I may live out the principles of your word. I have not ignored your judgments, for you have been my teacher. Your word has inspired me. It is sweeter than honey in my mouth. It is through your precepts that my understanding grows, and I have learned to hate everything evil. None. Your word is a lamp as I journey through life, shining a bright light onto my pathway. I have vowed to you, confirming that I will keep your righteous judgments. I am hounded and harried, so reinvigorate me by your word. Accept, O Lord, the praise of my mouth, and please teach me your judgments. My life seems to lurch from one danger to another, but in all my troubles I do not forget your law. The wicked keep trying to trap me, yet, even so, I have not wandered from your precepts. Your testimonies I regard as my inheritance, for they bring great joy to me. I have made it a practice to live by your statutes each day to the end of my life. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.